Looking in Acts today, chapter 26, verse 24 through 32. And we're going to see how God is sovereign over evangelism. How God is sovereign over evangelism. Hear the word of God. And as he was saying these things in its defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true, true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none, none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. When you look at this passage, you see a man who is very bold and confident. In fact, he has completely abandoned himself to God. What I mean by that is that he's not afraid of what the king thinks about him. He's not afraid about what all the nobility that is standing around him is thinking about him. You see, he was a man of status, and then he lost it. He purposely surrendered it. He purposely cast it off. He lost his title. He lost his name. He lost his company. He lost his culture. He lost his company. He lost all of it. In fact, people looking into his life may think that he was a traitor. Someone who grew up in a certain context and culture and who later grew up to abandon it. But at this, in this moment, when Paul is on trial, he doesn't care. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you had a complete abandonment for God? Where everything could be at risk? And you, in one sense, could care less. Because you were so satisfied with who God is. And you were so satisfied with being owned by him that you could care less. You know, how does, how does someone get to this point? Right? Well, in terms of evangelism, I don't know, sometimes it's hard for us to tell people about Jesus, mainly because we're afraid of how people will judge us. Um, I know, you know growing up and being in college and going to you know, just secular public schools like yourself and uh, secular universities, you can be an easy target for ridicule, right? Um, and later when you work at secular companies, you can be an easy target for um, being on probation or uh, being fired, 
because of what you believe, because of the fact that you are a Christian and you don't mind being a Christian in a secular environment. Now, I'm not denying that wisdom needs to be exercised and that we should be rash and half-baked in our approach of living out the gospel in our lives. However, we shouldn't be timid and private about our faith as well. There indeed needs to be wisdom in how we live our lives. And for Paul, he came to a point where he understood that in evangelism, it wasn't up to him to persuade King Agrippa. It wasn't up to him to persuade the nobility. It wasn't based upon his rhetoric, rhetoric, excuse me, his vocabulary, his phraseology. It wasn't dependent upon his education and his learning. It wasn't dependent upon his connections as well. He understood one major fact about evangelism and that God is sovereign over it all. You know, when I didn't understand, and there are times I still doubt because I'm human and I need to recenter my heart and my thoughts back upon the cross and back upon the sovereignty of God. But whenever I struggle with evangelism, and especially when I was younger when I did so more, for me, it was always, I understood evangelism in such a way that it was up to me to convince the person. And, you know, that's a load that God never puts on us, right? Jesus Christ himself tells us that his burden is light and his yoke is easy, right? Can you imagine what your eternal future would be like if God said, it is up to you to save people. It is up to you to change their hearts, to convince them that they're Christian, and if they don't believe that you're going to hell. Can you imagine the kind of pressure and the kind of interruption and anxiety that would be caused in your daily life, knowing that there is a future of punishment because you did not have the... Um, the words and the persuasiveness and the charisma to change a person's mind and their feelings about God. See, God never puts that load on us. And once we understand that it's God who changes hearts and we are called not to be passive or to, be, um, or to take a laissez-faire approach to evangelism, but... We are called to be faithful. And what that means is that whether people are saved or not, you tell people about Jesus Christ. You don't put that pressure on yourself to make sure that they make the decision, but you answer the call to say, God, you have commanded me, Christ, you have commanded me to go make disciples of all nations. And that is what I'm going to do. Whether they accept or reject, whether it is comfortable or uncomfortable, I will remain faithful. And that is what God calls us to do. God is sovereign, I want to show you, over two things when it comes to evangelism. God is sovereign over what people believe, and he is sovereign over how people respond. When you look at the passage, Festus basically interrupts Paul after Paul explains why he is on trial. 
that he is on trial because he believes in Jesus who rose from the dead, who is the Messiah, and he will judge the world one day, and that everybody needs forgiveness of sins, and they need to repent of their sins. And after this long speech that Paul gave, Festus interrupts, and he says, Paul, I know you're an educated man. I know your history. Right? I, know, I, I know your credentials. And I think that all your learning has made you mad. Right? And the reason why Festus says this is because the Romans did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They wouldn't believe it. Kind of like today. Right? You go out into secular society, non-Christian society today, people don't believe in the resurrection. And they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. If they did, they probably wouldn't admit it publicly in their workplace, right? Or politically, right? Maybe some would. But the reason why they, prob they probably wouldn't admit that is because it'll mess with their practical life. It'll mess with how the quality of their life. And God and the fact that he sent Jesus Christ so that we would be forgiven of our sins, that goes against an understanding that there is nothing in this world besides what we can observe, which is called naturalism. It's called naturalism because people only believe in nature, in what is naturally existing. So they don't believe in God, they don't believe in creation, they don't believe in the virgin birth, they don't believe in miracles and all this. And you see, God is sovereign over that belief. You see, God is in control of that belief. You don't need to try to be mad about that. You don't need to try to convince people naturalism is not really the way to believe, that that's a wrong belief that you have. God is also in control of the supernatural, in what people believe about the supernatural. You see, when Festus, when, he's, when, he, when he responds to Paul and says, you're out of your mind, See, God is in control of, over what he believes to be real about the world, that there is no, no, nothing supernatural in this world. Everything that is real is what we can observe and touch and feel. But Paul, he responds and he says, I'm not out of my mind. I'm not crazy, most excellent Festus. You see, first of all, what you see here is Paul, his identity is so secure in God, he doesn't get offended at the way that Festus you know, challenges what he believes. He doesn't get offended at that. He doesn't say, how dare you challenge my beliefs? This is what I believe. He says, he, he, he addresses Festus as most excellent Festus, okay? This is not superficial, right? Paul genuinely respects Festus as someone that God has placed in authority. He says, I'm not crazy, Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. Isn't that interesting? Today, people don't usually put those two things together. Rationality with faith, right? Because faith is irrational, is it not? Faith is irrational, right? Well, what, is, what does it mean to be rational? And sorry, but I'm going to be a little bit philosophical right now, okay? What does it mean to be rational? Well, let me tell you. Up front, rash, being rational is relative. It's relative. Because 
What we call rational is basically what we've experienced in the past, that everybody agrees on what we have observed and experienced. And also, what is rational is that whatever will happen in the future that we have not experienced yet will be like the past. Okay, I hope I didn't confuse anyone. So what's rational, what we call this is rational, or something is rational, is something that we have observed to be true in the past, and we assume that it's going to be true in the future. And if it fits those qualifications, we say that is something that's rational. But you see, that's not always true. It's sensible. People can agree on it, right? But it's not always true. Uh, there's a philosopher named uh, David Hume, and he made an argument. It's called the sunrise argument. And it's called the sunrise argument because he illustrates a truth, and he basically, the truth, argues against rationality, right? And he says, the reason why we believe that sun will rise tomorrow is because it has risen in the past so many times, right? And so that's rational. But if, if the sun would not rise tomorrow, if somehow the physical laws of nature were set in place so that in 2018, January 1st, the sun would not rise and that it would turn into a black hole and then the solar system would be sucked in, right? We would never know that. We would continue to assume that the sun will continue to rise past 2017 in the future, right? We would consider that rational, but it wouldn't be true, right? For Paul, not only was his belief rational, so for Paul, he experienced the resurrection, and many people did. And in the future, God has promised to come back and to judge the world and to give eternal life to people. That is also true. Paul assumes that to be true, just as anyone who believes that the sun will rise tomorrow assumes it to be true because of past events. Paul is using the same logic. And what I want to show you is that it is a false argument to say that non-Christian beliefs are rational, but Christian beliefs are not rational. That's what I want to show you. And that believing in Christianity, believing in Jesus Christ as a resurrected Savior is completely rational because it's based upon the same principles. Experience of the past and assumption that the future will be the same. And that's what Paul bases his beliefs on. And that's why he says, what I believe is true and rational. Right? Because he's experienced the resurrected Savior and he will, he, he assumes, he trusts, he believes that the future will be, this, will be as God revealed, what God revealed to him. And God is in control of that. And you see, in evangelism, sometimes we get afraid that what we believe to be true about Jesus Christ will get debunked because the person that's arguing against us seems to have seems to be more persuasive, or seems to know more, or seems to be more rational than us. And what I'm showing you is that that is not the case. God is sovereign over that. And how the person comes across and how you experience or how you get intimidated 
by someone, when you're telling them about Jesus Christ, that needs to be submitted and surrendered to the sovereignty of God. Because he can use that. He can use that. Even the way that you are perceived, when people perceive you as irrational, God can use that. The very thing that we want to avoid being in when we, when we approach evangelism. You see, evangelism is not about us being persuasively successful. Evangelism is not about us making sure that the other person agrees with us. That's not what it's about. It's about allowing God to work through all of our experiences in evangelism, whether we are successful in persuading the person or not successful. You see, Paul, in this passage, it never says that the people he was talking to actually agreed. In fact, it says that they disagreed and they just withdrew, right? God is sovereign over that. God is not only sovereign over the natural and the supernatural beliefs, he's also sovereign over beliefs about what has happened in history. What I mean by that is that in verse 26, the king knew everything that had happened about Jesus Christ. He knew about it. It was history, okay? This is not, it wasn't the type of thing where today we're like, oh, did Jesus really exist? Was he really a historical figure, right? That's not, that's not the conversation that's going on. Everybody knew he existed. It was not done in a corner, meaning it was, that was a Greek idiom for saying, this didn't happen under a rock, okay? Everybody knew about it. It happened. People saw it. Thousands of people saw it. It was historical. There was no need to question it. And God is sovereign over how you understand history, on how you understand what has happened in the past. And so when you talk to someone about evangelism, I'm sorry, when you talk to someone about Jesus Christ, when you evangelize them, the way that they understand and have experienced things in the past God is in control of that. And when you speak to the person, you never know, as a human being, as an evangelist, as someone who's telling someone else about the gospel, you never know how the message and, and your life will connect with that person because of what they've been through. You never know that. And when we deny ourselves the opportunity to speak to people, to pray for people, right, in evangelism, we're limiting ourselves to the idea that God cannot work outside of what I think. And that's not a place we want to be, mate. number one, because God is able to work outside of our mental box. And secondly, there are some amazing things that, can, that you can experience when you are faithful in giving the gospel to people. And lastly, um, God, is provident, God is sovereign over the belief in scriptures. So in 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know, you, I know that you believe, right? When Paul says, do you believe the prophets, he's not talking about some people who were alive then. He's talking about the prophetic word, which is the Old Testament, and so when Paul says, do you believe the prophets? He's saying, do you believe in the Old Testament? 
Do you believe in the Bible? And a great way to talk about faith in Jesus Christ, a great opening question. Do you, what do you think about the Bible? It's a great way, great starting point, because depending on how they answer that, you can figure out where they are in their faith. God is sovereign over what people believe. We don't need control over that. And secondly, God is sovereign over how people respond. Um, There was hesitancy. And that's one thing that deterred me from telling people about Jesus Christ in my past. Hesitancy to believe. And sometimes the idea comes up in my mind today, too. Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Man, every time I see hesitancy, I'm like, oh no, I'm losing him, right? I'm losing her, right? What can I say to get her back, right? Um, Now, there are two assumptions here in what Agrippa says to Paul that is not true. He says, in a short time, so the first assumption is that it takes time to believe in Christianity. And then he says, would you persuade me? And the second assumption is that it needs to be persuasive for me to believe. So two assumptions. Number one, it takes time to be a Christian. And number two, when I hear the Bible or when I hear people talk about the Bible, it needs to be persuasive. You see, time does not cause a person to be a Christian, and persuasiveness or the argument or a good argument does not cause someone to be a Christian. And yet, these are the things that, and I'm speaking directly from my own life, that have deterred me and have uh, discouraged me in evangelism. Because I think, man, I just need more time. Or perhaps I need to be more persuasive, right? And God is sovereign over how people respond. It's God who closes the eyes and closes the ears. And it's also God who opens the eyes and opens the ears for people to see the truth, to hear the truth, and to believe in it. Paul, God is even sovereign over your desire for people to believe. Are you in a place where you don't have much desire for people to believe? Right? You're like, man, I don't really have that desire that people believe. Um, God is sovereign over that. When you look at Paul, he says, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. What Paul is saying, he's like, it's not, it's not about time. It doesn't matter. Short or long, it doesn't matter. That's not, that's not an important factor in becoming a Christian. All right? Those are different ways that God uses sometimes to make, to make someone believe in the Bible. But for Paul, he's like, it doesn't matter if it's short or long. It doesn't matter if it's now or much later. But what matters is, he says, I would to God. And that word would in Greek is actually the word for pray. So if you were to translate it in a different way, and some English Bibles do, It says, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. And what I'm trying to show you is that Paul responded in a reasonable way. 
He wanted their good. He was bold and confident. And it's because he had a life where he trusted in God to convince them and to change them. He would to God. He prayed to God. Right? Uh, Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So when someone becomes saved, okay, it's a gift that God gives them. The, the act of believing and being persuaded and being convinced is a gift that God has given to their mind and to their heart to be able to believe. Okay? It's not a direct product of what we have done. It's not a direct product of being persuasive. It's not a direct product of time. It's a direct gift from God. And so for that desire, for us to have that desire, it is a prayerfulness that we need to have. When you talk to someone about Jesus, when you go out to your car and you put it in reverse and then you go into the highway and you're stuck in traffic, right? Take a moment to pray. Don't close your eyes if you're driving, right? Take a moment to pray and commit your day and commit those people that you, that God will allow you to meet, commit them to God and be like Paul and say, I would to God that you would be like me, that you would believe in Jesus Christ, okay? It's not up to us to change their hearts, It's up to us to be faithful to what God has commanded, but it is a gift of God. Believing in God is a gift of God. And so I want to encourage you guys. It's hard sometimes to talk about Jesus Christ, but I want to remind you that God is sovereign over it all. And so when you fail (laughs) to persuade someone and they come out of the conversation or they come out of the experience thinking, man, I, I, can't disagree, I, can't, I can't disagree with you more than I disagree with you right now, right? Yeah, sure, you failed to change their heart, but it was never your job to change their heart to begin with. So that's a good thing, okay? And just remember that God is sovereign and you are called to be faithful in giving the word to them. Not to change them. Because even if someone as amazing as Paul failed to convince Festus and failed to convince Agrippa, okay, then is it that surprising if we fail to do the same? So, going into your week, Look at evangelism from God's point of view and see that we are called to sow the seed, not to forcibly cause the plant to grow out of the ground. And as Paul has said, let us be faithful. Well, he didn't say it in this way, but let's water and let's plant, right? And let's just see God give the growth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together today, and we pray, God, that you allow us to remember that you are sovereign over all of our interactions with people. And whether they reject the gospel or accept it, it is in your hands. 
and we, we remember your word when it says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.